You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So this is Matthew 26. It's in the New Testament. <clears throat> is anybody there yet? Raise your hand if you're there. First, we could do a sword drill. Who's the first one? Oh, we got people there. Nice. And you could, you could turn in the actual Bible. Uh, if you bring a Bible or there's Bibles on the table... Or you can turn in on your cell phone if you have one of those cool cell phone Bible apps. How many, how many of you have a cool cell phone Bible app? That's sweet. Okay. Like half of you. Pretty cool. So Matthew 26, this is where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has just prayed with his disciples. And if you know the story, which I'm sure many of you do, uh, you know that he is captured by the Romans and the Jewish leaders of the time. And so this is that story. And I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says about violence, what Jesus says about using the sword. So here's the story in context. Verse uh, 47 of Matthew 26 says, uh, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the high priests and elders of the people. So imagine it's at night, this, this group of people come with Judas ready to take down, ready to, to, they have their swords and their clubs, ready to take Jesus. Uh, Verse 48, now he who was betraying him gave the sign saying, whoever I kiss is the one sees him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come to do. And they came and laid hands on him and seized him. Verse 51 says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew the sword and struck a slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Yuck. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. This is this passage here. Put your sword back into its place, for all who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say this must happen this way? So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we we come before you um, ready to to learn from your scripture, ready to learn from church history. We come to to learn from mistakes of our ancestors in church history. We come to learn from some of the ways you have interacted with your church throughout the years. And so, Lord, we, we thank you. We bless your holy name. You're good to us. You're an awesome, good, and loving God. We love you. And everybody screamed, amen. So let me tell you a story. A story about riding the school bus. Anybody ride the school bus when they were a kid every day? Like a quarter of you. The short bus, the regular bus. Anyways, I I rode the regular bus to school. And I want to tell you a story where I was really mean. I was like the bully of the bus, which is really unusual for me because I was usually the kid that was bullied because uh, I was like the runt of like my class. Like I was very short. Like I, I hit a growth spurt in like as a junior in high school. But before that time, I was always like the littlest kid in my class by like, I looked like I was like two years behind um, all the kids in my class. There's like all these kids, second graders, and there's like this little like kindergartner. He's like, what's this kindergarten? No, he's the same age. He's just smaller. Anyways, uh, it was in the fall. I was riding home on the bus, and there was this new kid to school, and he was just, you know the kind of kids that just annoy you to death? 
he was this kid just talking and talking and bragging about stuff. And he had just gotten his tetanus shot in his arm. And if you get a tetanus shot, your arm is sore. So he's going on and on about how, how his arm hurts. And, and eh, my arm hurts, the tetanus. Eh. And, and he's just going on and on bragging about what he's done and where he's moved from and all this stuff. And anyways, we started talking, him and I started talking about religion. And I was a Christian. He was not. And he started talking bad about my religion. He said, Jesus is dumb. The Bible's just made up. I forget. I mean, this is way back in the recesses of my memory. I forget what religion he was. He might have just been a different denomination. I don't know. Um, But he was talking about how I was all wrong. My religion was wrong. And he was making fun of me and my faith and just egging me on. And I was getting madder and madder and madder. And so finally... Uh, I, I got so mad, I was like, I'm going to punch your tetanus arm, you little punk. And he was like, you wouldn't dare because God's on my side and he's not on your side. And I was like, that's it. I grabbed his arm and I like Chinese rug burned his, <laughs> his little arm. It, was, it wasn't one of the high moments of my life. Um, and, so, and, and then he started crying and so I moved seats. It was like, this is what you get for making fun of my religion, punk. And... And I felt, I felt like, man, I just kind of won a fight, uh, which was like the first time ever because I was always a little kid. Uh, and I kind of felt like all big and bad and cool. Well, it turns out that my bus stop was before his bus stop, so I got off. And he must have memorized where I lived. So somehow in... Moms just have this way of knowing things. Uh, I got home. My mom kind of knew something was wrong. And then somehow this kid uh, got his mom to call my mom and tell her what happened on the bus ride, which is just, it's just a horrible story if you think about it. It's like, so wait, he was making fun of your religion, and so you, he was new, it was his first day to school, and you Chinese rug burned his tetanus arm. And I was like, yeah, that about sums it up. Um, so like in the name of Jesus, because he made fun of Jesus, I rug burned his tetanus arm. It's like, yeah... This picture about summarizes how I felt, just face palm, hand to the face, Jesus. This, this statue's in Oklahoma City, right outside the National Monument. And I've, I've seen this picture on the internet with famous mimes of like, oh, Jesus is weeping. And that's what this painting, or what the sculpture is called, Jesus Wept. So today we're going to talk about some bigger moments than Chinese rug burning. Is that even what it's called? A Chinese rub burn? Rug burn? Um, tetanus arms. We're going to talk about Christians doing much, much worse in the name of Jesus. And so that hopefully funny story to lighten the the mood because it's about to get really serious. We're going to talk about the Crusades. Um, I imagine that many of you, including myself, will leave somewhat depressed about what we have done in church history. Um, Some of the mistakes and maybe one of the biggest ones being the Crusades. So anyways, welcome officially to the Mill Sunday School Thank you for being here. If you're new, uh, there's cards on all your tables. Uh, hopefully one should be there. Um, so it looks something like that, and so you could fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. And then give it to the nice people as you leave. Uh, they'll give you a gift baggie. has Brady Boyd's, our senior pastor's book in it. It's got some information about the mill that meets on a Friday night, which is our kind of our main service for college and 20-somethings. And Sunday school would be a smaller group out of that mill that meets on Friday nights. So if you're new, that's for you. Um, But we, moving right along, are in church history. This month of February, we are talking about the Middle Ages church history. And uh, 
this time of church history, that's kind of a Debbie Downer. Like this whole month has kind of been like one bad thing after another. And I think this lesson today is kind of the culmination, 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 that word, of kind of how bad things got in the Middle Ages. And if you're extra nerdy and you want a homework assignment, there's a nerd alert, your best sirens. (laughs) Anyways. Church history and plain language, we assigned a set of different passages and chapters in this book. If you're reading along, we're somewhere around chapter 19. Uh, it starts off with uh, the building of Notre Dame, the, not the uh, Catholic school in the Midwest, but the original uh, uh, cathedral in downtown Paris, right in the middle of the River Sin. And so it starts off with that, then talks about the Crusades. So anyways, I'm rambling and kind of uh, ready for you to, to get a chance to talk with some people at your table. So here's the discussion question for you. And you know the direction that we're going today. You know that we're going to talk about the Crusades. Um, and I, I, I'm going to argue that that's probably one of the biggest examples of Something bad, maybe the worst thing that we as Christians, maybe not we in this room, but we as Christians and our ancestors, if you think about like our Christian family, it's probably one of the worst things we've done. Um, but I wanted to open it up for discussion. So this, this question is for, for in your humble opinion, that's what that stands for, I-Y-H-O. I might have just made that up, but in your humble opinion, um, you could say the Crusades, you could say something else, and this will put us on a track of kind of a depressing track of like thinking about mistakes that we have made as Christians. But in your humble opinion, maybe as a table, write down a few things, or and maybe just one decide as a table one thing that um, is maybe worst above the other ones. Um, but what is the worst thing done in the name of Christ. Looking at church history, looking at events of today, um, what in your humble opinion, we could have different answers, is maybe one of the worst things done in the name of Christ. So that's your discussion question. If you're at a small table, just jump right in to a bigger table to get questions and discussions going. So ready, get set, discuss. All right, I'm going to come over here and then go over there. Yes, Mr. Burton. It would just have to be. Is it on? Give him a second to turn it on. Give it a check. Check, check. There it is. Okay, cool. Indulgences. The indulgences. We'll talk about that next week. It's pretty bad. I mean, in some ways, we're kind of poking our own eyes here because we are Christians and we're kind of saying what's some of the things we've done. Um, so, I don't know. Go easy on ourselves, I guess. <laughs> Higgins? The Spanish. Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition. Convert or die. Convert or die. Pretty bad. <laughs> Anything else? Hill? Westboro Baptist grinds my gears. Did anybody else talk about the Westboro Baptists at your table? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things I, I thought about. Like, man, that's just... I mean, they, they are a Christian, so by name, they're one of us, but it's, it's kind of embarrassing. Not kind of, it's very... Embarrassing, this may be the ways in which they do it. Michael? The Salem Witch Trials. Salem Witch Trials, where we took teenage girls. I say we, kind of this corporately as Christians. Leadership took young girls, tried them as witches. They may or may not have been witches, but they were killed uh, for being a witch. Um, I'm going to argue, as I already kind of uh, hinted at, that the Crusades were pretty bad. The Crusades in the Middle Ages top the list. If you have a top five list or a top ten list, they're in there for sure. Uh, of so, Some of the worst times that we as Christians 
did something in the name of Christ. Like in the name of Christ, we did something that especially in hindsight, looking back, we're just like, gosh, that was a really bad time in church history. And maybe a lot of people, this might be news to you. You might be like, oh yeah, the Crusades. And you have images of the Crusades that maybe are positive images. I know some of you, um, sometimes there's like Christian high schools, their mascot will be the Crusaders. And I'm almost like, are you, have you read any church history? Do you know how, like, we don't, we should probably just forget the Crusades. Um, but anybody go to the high school that was a Christian high school, the Crusaders? Anybody? Okay, nobody. So I could make fun of it. Um, the idea of it is just like, really? Like, have you not picked up a history book ever that you would name your school the Crusaders? Um, anyways, um, to give a gist of what the Crusades were, um, and so maybe there's just this romanticized view of the Middle Ages. Like you think Crusades, you might think, oh, Richard the Lionheart, this King Knight guy, that was pretty cool. Or like people going on this pilgrimage. Oh, that's kind of cool. Pilgrimage to the Holy Land, that's cool. But um, the, the way in which the Crusades happened, not going to be good. I'm going to give you some details in a minute. Um, but it's like the peasants... It was peasants going. This idea that we have, think of like knights in shining armor going and fighting for their Lord. It's really more of like peasants that were just horribly impoverished, um, rounding up like five, six times their annual income to get enough food, get a sword, get some weapons together and, and go on a pilgrimage southeast to the Holy Land to, to wage war. Um, so this romanticized view of like knights in shining armor fighting, eh, that's a little romanticized. It's, it's much more this just random, regular peasant people that were farmers getting some weapons together, getting enough supplies together, and going off to war. Um, here's another image of Christians the, the, on, the, on the left. Um, it looks like they're putting a spear through some darker-looking figures, the Muslims. Um, this kind of picture represents the Crusades, a 200-year battle between Christians and Muslims for the Holy Land. And even that definition kind of has to, it doesn't, even the Crusades don't fit exactly into that big definition. We'll talk some more. But the Crusades have everything representing the Middle Ages. Death, kings, popes, religion, killing, power, scandal, like this idea of religion and war coming together. If anything represents the Middle Ages, that's what represents the Middle Ages. And the Crusades have all of that. Start if you're writing down dates and things just to get an idea of when the Crusades were. First Crusade officially started in 1095 when Pope Urban II makes this call for Christians to go get back the Holy Land. So that's 1095. And it will last for about 200 years following that. And by the way, if you don't know this already, the Crusades, if the objective of the Crusades was to get the Holy Land, Jerusalem, Israel, for the Christians, well, it failed, that objective. And so, um, anyways, the Crusades. We have to, for a second figuratively put the crusades into a shelf, a little drawer. We'll put them in there. We'll close the drawer. We'll talk about the background of the crusades, and then we'll go back, open the drawer, and talk about the crusades. Cool beans? So it's going to sound like we're going going on a, a bit of a rabbit trail, and in some ways we are, but we need to talk about the background of the crusades. So the next slide, background of the crusades. What was happening at this time? We need to talk about an event we haven't yet talked about, and it's called the Great Schism, kind of a fun word to say, 
the Great Schism, and this is going to be, <clears throat> I guess, one of the first ever church splits. And we, it's hard to get, like, like, really? Like, there wasn't a church split before this? And it's like, really? not really. Not like we know today. I mean, today, like, if you get mad at me for any reason, you could go down the road and start your own church and, and maybe bring some Sunday schoolers with you, and that would be a church split. It happens, like, every day in the United States. There's just church splits after church splits after more church splits. I mean, you think about all the denominations, the Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, and so on and so forth. They've all split off, and, and for whatever reason. I mean, maybe you just got mad at me. Maybe you just got mad that the, the color of the carpet was the color of the carpet. And you're like, man, we were going to have a church where the color of the carpet is better. We're going to start a new church, a better church, where the carpet is blue or something. I don't know. We split over random things all the time. But this, seemingly, is one of the first ever church splits. A little picture of a literal church splitting down the middle. (coughs) So this church split happened in 1054. And it's going to play into the Middle Ages, play into the Crusades, as you will see in just a second. So this church split is the church split between the East and the West. And, And you may not believe this, but before this time, in the Middle Ages, Adam Molesky last week did a great job talking through this, but it's really hard to grasp that there was no, like, churches in the Middle Ages. There was the church, and its leader was the Bishop of Rome. He had primacy all over all other bishops, and today we call him the Pope, when that word means father, papa, or pope. Um, and uh, th- there wasn't, like, the Presbyterians, the Protestants, the Baptists, you're like, where were they? they? They hadn't yet broke off from the Catholic Church yet. This universal church, you know, we call the universal church, the universal church is a big idea. But in the Middle Ages, it really was one church. And there wasn't yet denominations, with very, very few exceptions. There was the church. And the head of the church was the, the Pope. And in 1054, something happens so that the East and the West splits. In our church history, as New Lifers, as Protestants, we are Protestants. If you didn't know that, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, we, we are under this general category. We are maybe evangelical, non-denominational Protestants. Like our history, if we were to look at our family tree, traces back to the Holy Roman Catholic Church and the Western side of the church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, but there's this whole other church that we don't know too much about. And so here's kind of a map of this split, the blue on the right, representing the East and the Eastern Orthodox. Anybody ever heard of the East Orthodox Church? It should be a term that we're more familiar with, but it's just not. I think we are more Western as Christians, and we, we our line of history comes from the Catholic, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, so we just don't talk about the Eastern Orthodox Church as much. It's kind of mysterious to us. So on the left is the Holy Roman Catholic Church. That's the orange. On the right is this, this when the split happened. And of course, the, the map is oversimplified and just like blue and orange and right down the middle. Kind of interesting. But maybe um, you've seen people that look like this or things and churches that look like this. Maybe if you look at the guy in the upper left-hand corner, kind of looks like Muslim, right? I mean, if you're just like looking at it, you're like, oh, he's wearing uh, a wrap headgear and he's darker skinned. Oh, he's Muslim. Actually, no, he's holding a cross and he's a Coptic Christian. So an Ethiopian Coptic Christian. You're like, wow, that just looks very different than, I guess, a Protestant white 
evangelical. I mean, if you saw that guy at the airport, what would you think? <laughs> I didn't say it. You said it. Um, but it looks very, it just look. I mean, the look of it. If you look at the guy on the right, you might think, oh, he's wearing all black. He's a ninja. No, <clears throat> no, he's not. He's not a ninja. Um, <clears throat> he's actually the pastor in town. Uh, we're going to do a field trip. I'll talk about that in a minute. But you can meet the guy on the upper right-hand corner. That's Father Anthony, and he, he wears all black as a part of the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church and what the, the priests in the Eastern Orthodox Church wear. Um, so he's not a ninja. The, guy, the, the picture at the bottom left is, you might think, oh, the dome, it looks kind of like a mosque. You know, if you just didn't know, you're like, it kind of looks like a mosque. Uh, and maybe you've seen this building. If you've ever been on Highway 25 and you've looked like around, you know where American Furniture Warehouse is right next to Fillmore? You know, because you get all your furniture there. Uh, right on the other side of that is this, uh, it's called Holy Theophany, and it is the Eastern Orthodox Church here in town. And maybe if you've ever seen it, you're like, oh, is that a mosque? No, it's not a mosque. It's, it's actually a Christian church that just looks different than New Life. Very different, um, in fact. And if you look on the right hand, the, the lower right hand side, uh, you might think, oh, is that an Asian artwork? What's going on in that picture? Well, it's an Eastern Orthodox icon of Jesus getting baptized. And, and so you're like, oh, it looks a little Asian. No, it, it, looks, it just looks different. It's it's an Eastern Orthodox thing. So, um, while we know very little, I, I, at least I'm speaking for myself, um, about the history of the Eastern Orthodox, here is a very simplified, you might say an overly simplified chart over why the church split over the East and the West. So I put the West on uh, the left there, the East on the right. We could talk about the location. You know, location is everything. Well, they were literally separated by geography. Uh, the, the language was different in the West, in the Middle Ages, in Europe. Uh, what is West Europe? People spoke, uh, at least for the holy language, people spoke Latin. So if you went to a church service, it would be in Latin. If you had a Bible, it would be the Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Old and New Testament. <clears throat> in the East, they had the, the Greek text, which to them, it's like, well, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament, the Septuagint, we do have a Greek translation that predates Christianity. So to them, it's like, well, the Greek is just a better option. Um, but in the West, they had the Latin, because that was traditionally what was used. Um, there's the next line there, going over this very quickly. The filioque is a clause in the Nicene Creed. This is, and the Son. So it says, uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and the Son is what we say, because our church history kind of comes from the West. But in the East, they would say that's an addition to the Creed, which came a little later, which it did. And so they say, you know, there's some theology here that's a little different. The Creed is a little different. Um, that's true. Uh, there's the Pope versus the Patriarch. And, and it's not a one-for-one -one equation. The Patriarch is the bishop in the Eastern Orthodox Church over Constantinople. But he, didn't, he doesn't really have the head primacy like the Pope does in the West. But anyways, uh, another reason to split a church is the date of Easter. What day does Easter? Easter fall on. Um, this year, 2014, Easter is for both the East and the Western churches, falls on April 20th. But how you calculate that is sometimes different. So next year, 2015, Easter for us as the Westerners will fall on April 5th. 
But if you go to an Orthodox church, if you go to a church in Russia, uh, Easter will fall on April 12th. It's like a different day. And so which day is Easter? Is it the 5th or the 12th? Well, it depends on what calendar you use and lots of um, arguing and splitting churches over what day Easter falls on. The next thing says icons. In the West, we, we would say uh, no to icons. Icon is like a picture or a statue of a saint. Um, and, and we, maybe as Protestants, would say, no, we don't worship images. That's one of the commandments. But in the East, they would say, well, we don't worship these images. We venerate them. We, we respect the idea at which it represents. And so you might see, if you go on the field trip with us in a couple weeks to the Eastern Orthodox Church, you might see people like kissing the, the feet of the statue of Jesus or uh, an image of Jesus to show respect to Jesus, not the, not the image itself, but the person, the icon of what it represents. And finally, one more reason to split the church. Uh, in the West, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, still to this day, the priests cannot marry. But in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, clergy can get married. And so, in 1054, Pope and Patriarch excommunicate each other. It's like, I excommunicate I ex- you. Well, before you excommunicate me, I'm going to excommunicate you. It's kind of like quitting a job. You can't fire me because I quit. It's like, well, what, what really happened there? I'm not sure. Um, so one, excommunicate. And that's a really big deal. Like to, to excommunicate someone, because there's really only one church in the Middle Ages, you're really condemning that person to eternal damnation. And it's a really big deal to get excommunicated, which, I mean, it should be. But maybe, you know, if, <clears throat> going back in history is an even bigger deal. And get this, Pope and Patriarch did not get together and lift the excommunications until... So this happened in 1054. It did, they, the excommunications were not lifted until 1965. And there's a picture of the Pope and the Patriarch at the time lifting excommunications off of each other. It's like, that's your parents' lifetime. That's not that long ago that, that the churches finally came together. And so anyways... Um, <clears throat> Thinking about the Orthodox Church, uh, in two weeks, not this Saturday uh, coming up, but next Saturday, so we'll announce it again next Sunday, uh, we're going to go on a field trip to the Eastern Orthodox Church. So there's, if you see in the picture, it's kind of hard to see. There's American Furniture Warehouse on the left, and then right on the right uh, is the Eastern Orthodox Church. Just to, I, them, you know where that's at. Um, so we'll, we'll go you could go to Theophany, that's our website, .org, if you want to read more about it. So this is a field trip in two weeks. We will go at 4.30. We'll probably meet in the parking lot. And uh, we'll have a tour by Father Anthony. And we'll go, he's going to invite us to, they have, every Saturday they have a Vespers service at 6. And so if you're, want, if you're feeling uh, adventurous and want to stay for the service, you can. It's optional to stay for the 6 o'clock service. I, I went to it two, two Saturday nights ago, and it was just very different. I would say weird, but I think it's just so different that it's, I don't want to say just throw the weird sticker on it, but it's just so different. Like our history as Christians comes from the Western church and then Protestantism. Uh, and this is like a whole nother like family tree of churches. So it's just very different. You walk in, there's no chairs, you stand the whole time. Um, 
it just it's all candlelit and beautiful, and there's just pictures of saints everywhere, and uh, the whole service, 99% of it is singing, like chanting different scriptures and chanting passages of scripture. People seemingly all know what to do. At the same time, there's like different motions and things. It's just very, very different from any church that I have experienced, but really cool. So anyways, two weeks, that's the field trip if you're interested. Um, And we talk about this because, today at least, because the Crusades happen in the East. You know, Eastern Europe, uh, the Crusaders go through Eastern Europe, and unfortunately, because the Eastern Christians looked and acted so different than the Western Christians, we're going to talk about how the Western Christians, the Holy Roman Catholic Empire Christians, these crusaders, went down and maybe mistakenly or on purpose, in the name of Jesus, killed other Christians because they looked and acted different. So let's continue this um, kind of a rabbit trail to get us back to the Crusades, but a very important part of Crusades we can't really talk about. The crusades without talking about Islam and the founder of Islam, Muhammad. Here's a picture of him. Those are the dates in which he lived, 570 to 632 AD. And Muhammad uh, is a prophet in the Islamic world, in the Islamic faith. Today, one out of five people is Muslim, which is a huge population of people. He was born in 570 in the city of, anybody know? Starts with an M. Yep, Mecca. He was born in Mecca. That's why that's a holy city for Muslims. He has a vision in a cave, and he believes the angel Gabriel speaks to him and gives him words from God. So God speaks through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. He writes it down. So their Bible, uh, the Quran, it's not a Bible, it's the Quran. Their holy book is the Quran is not like our Bible in that it's uh, poems and letters and stories. It's, it's, to them, it's like a more poetic, like words of God directly through Muhammad, directly through Gabriel from God himself. And there's also lots of sayings in Islam that don't come from the Quran, but come from the sayings of Muhammad. Like there's a popular one that you probably have heard before, is that if uh, the, the Muslim heaven... heaven for um, uh, someone who dies in jihad is uh, a place where there's 72 virgins. Maybe you've heard, that, heard of that before, and you're like, where does it say that in the Quran? Well, the Quran doesn't say that. That's supposedly a saying of Muhammad that got passed down. Um, there's lots of those kinds of sayings that, that make their way into the faith of, of Islam that don't directly come from uh, the Quran itself. Like I, a lot, many years ago, I went on a mission trip to Pakistan, and it's, I guess it's kind of an embarrassing story. Um, so I had I had drank all this tea and had to go to the bathroom. There was no bathrooms out in this little like village we were at. So the missionary was like, "Go pee in the field." It was, it was kind of like this, like like just <laughs> like just go out there and pee. So I was kind of like, "Really? Like there's no trees." Um, and he said, make sure you sit down to pee because, there, because males here sit down to pee because supposedly Muhammad, one of the sayings of Muhammad is you, you're supposed to sit down to pee. So anyways, without getting into details, I did what he said. It was weird, but um, move, I don't know why I said that. Moving right along. Siege of Jerusalem. So this is just five years after Muhammad dies Islam spreads like crazy, like wildfire. Uh, Muhammad wasn't just a religious leader. He was also a political leader, also a, uh, a general of an army. 
And so with force, this idea of jihad, uh, they take Jerusalem in 637 AD. And they, uh, in the spot where the Old Testament temple was on that ground, they build in, uh, let's see, the year 637, 638, they build the, uh, the, what is today, the shiny gold roof building called the Dome of the Rock right on the old Temple Mound. And so that has been sitting there since the 600s. And so if you have been to Israel, I haven't, I would love to go. And and you're like, so where's the temple? Well, the, the temple sits used to sit where this dome of the rock is. And so this is a, an Islamic structure, uh, supposedly one of the first Islamic architectural structures ever um, on, on the whole, in the holy city. And so if you're wondering, like, why, what about the Jews? What about the Christians? Well, in 637, uh, Jerusalem was seized and they built this building. Here's a little map of the spread of, of um Islam. This this goes from Muhammad's death, so the the dark pink up until 750, which is like the lighter pink as it goes. And you just, that's a huge chunk of land in which uh, Islam spread very quickly. Within about a hundred years, Islam spread like crazy. And let's go back to the shelf. Let's pull out the Crusades to talk about them. We've talked a little background about the Crusades. Let's go back now. I think with this information, we can fully or talk about it. So Islam grew and they took over the Holy Land. And that was way back in 600 and something. And here we are back in 1095. And what happened was a letter was sent from the uh, emperor. His name was Alexis in Constantinople. So if we had the map back up in today, what is Turkey? Uh, In Constantinople, um, the Sajuk Turks we're taking over um, new areas of land and, take, and threatening the, uh, the city of Constantinople. So a letter was sent from Constantinople to the Pope, Pope Urban II, saying, we need your help. And that's uh, at the top, in the middle there, that's uh, Pope Urban. He gets a letter saying, we need help. And the, the Muslims at this time were making it harder and harder for pilgrims, Christian pilgrims, to visit the Holy Land, which really ticks off Christians trying to visit the Holy Land. And so Pope Urban says, let's wage war with Islam. Let's, let's get the Holy Land back. And he says this famous Latin phrase, Deus volt, which means, anybody? Yeah, it's the will of God. This God wills this. And so he says, um, let's go in war against the Islamic world and get back Jerusalem and help the eastern um, city of Constantinople. The Lord wills this. Let's go. And so people do. That's, that's the beginning of the first crusade in 1095. And there was this idea of like going to the Holy Lands to save it, like as if uh, the Virgin Mary needed help. And um, amongst Catholics, the Virgin Mary is the mother of God. Uh, we know that, and they, ha- they have a special place for the, the, the mother of God in Catholicism, and maybe you know some more about that than I do. Um, but there was this idea that we need to go to the Holy Land and save our mother, like save this virgin mother from these horrible Muslim guys that are getting the Holy Land. There's this image, this idea that we need to go help our mom win, you know, get this area back, this holy land back. And so 
the Crusades kind of become this like mobbery, I don't know if that's a word, of people going to the Holy Lands to do something. Like, let's just go. Let's go get this land back. Kind of like, uh, sometimes I tell the story of uh, like a bunch of middle school boys going to help out. Um, I remember back when I was in seventh grade, uh, we were in the cafeteria eating, and we heard word that there was a fight. And so, of course, middle school boys always want to go check out fights. Um, And so we heard that this wasn't just any ordinary fight. This was a fight between a guy and a girl. And it wasn't just any guy and a girl. It was John Muscarella, this oaf kind of guy, and Mandy Wood, the most popular girl in middle school. So so imagine yourself, a little middle school boy in the cafeteria hearing that there's a fight, and so you're already like, yeah, let's go out and see it. And then when you learn that a girl, like the most popular girl in school, is in the fight and maybe getting beaten up by John Muscarella, the oaf of the school. If you're a middle school boy, you're just like, yeah, let's go out there. Let's help Mandy. <laughs> and so all these little boys, I remember, uh, go outside and they're like, like mobbery, like if that's a word, um, kicking over trash cans, throwing things into the dumpster, making a mess, breaking windows, just like going, just like, it's like everyone else is doing it. Why not? Um, In some way that was like, in a very loose interpretation, that was like this idea of like, everyone's going to the Holy Land for good reason. And, And the Pope just said, the Lord wills it. The Pope actually says, if anyone dies on the way to the Crusades or is a part of the Crusades, don't worry about purgatory. You get to go straight to heaven. So there's like spiritual consequences in a good way to being a crusader. This idea of traveling, this idea of seeing the world, this idea of going to the Holy Land. And so it, there was this total lack of like, um, usually in a, in a war, there's like generals and officers and this structure and trained people. It was more like this random mobbery of people going to the Holy Land. And so the, the first crusade was called in 1095. A couple of years later, they arrive and they win back and siege Jerusalem. So here's a famous painting of the crusaders <clears throat> getting to Jerusalem and taking it. If you look closely, there's, there's people all over the ground and bodies and blood. And it's one of the worst battles in history as far as being bloody and women and children being killed and raped and the murder of the innocent, all in the name of of Jesus, like with crosses on your shirt, on your shields, uh, on your swords, killing men, women, and children in the name of like getting the Holy Land back. And it didn't last very long. They, they sieged Jerusalem, 10, uh, let's see, in the 1100, year 1100, both Jerusalem and Antioch, uh, the port city of Israel, were taken for Christians, but that didn't last very long. If you've Uh, know anything about church history, or if you've seen this movie, Kingdom of Heaven with Orlando Bloom, came out quite a few years, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, If you've seen this movie, it's about uh, uh, Saladin and his army from Egypt coming and and getting back Jerusalem for the Muslims. Um, The Crusades, they weren't successful for very long. They, They captured Jerusalem like they wanted to, but then it's like, oh, we've captured the land, I want to go home. Like, and so people went home and then it just left uh, the city like open for reclaiming by Muslim armies. And so um, here's a map and you, I don't know how well you can see it. I, I did make this the picture of our notes. Um, the first crusade, 
that's in the, uh, in the blue, like people just making their way to Constantinople and then down the Second Crusade in the green, 1100s uh, making their way to Constantinople, then down. And then the red is like, well, we, we realized that we lost so many people on the way to the Holy Land that this time we're going to take some boats. And so you see like uh, the boats being taken over the Mediterranean. And then the Fourth Crusade, it looks very interesting because it starts in Venice and then goes to Constantinople. So they didn't even make it to the Holy Land. Instead, they sack the city, the Christian city of Constantinople. Very weird. I'll let you research that on your own. But the Crusades, even by the definition of like trying to win back the Holy Land, well, the Fourth Crusade, that didn't even fit that definition. They went to Constantinople, which was a Christian city, not including this idea that the Eastern Orthodox Church was Christian. So it's Christians killing Christians. And the idea of the Crusades um, molded into this idea of anything you do in the name of war for the Holy Roman Empire was considered a crusade. And the deuce fault, like God wills it, and you would go straight to heaven because the Pope said, and you begin to realize the tragedy of this whole thing. The, the idea, the horrible idea, the wrong idea that might is right is, is like quintessential of the Crusades. Like this, just because the Pope had the power to wage war doesn't mean he should have. Just because the people had the power to go into war doesn't mean they should have. And this, this idea of, I think in some ways, uh, we as, you know, living in 2014 as Americans, we look at uh, very extremist Islam and say, oh, they, you know, they have the jihad, they have the suicide bombers. But they, if you talk to uh, a Muslim, they would say, well, didn't you Christians, you know, what about the Crusades? Didn't you have your hand in horrible, violent war in the name of Jesus? Well, Yes, unfortunately, we in our history as Christians look back and say, yes, we would have made a horrible mistake and we waged war in the name of Jesus uh, in such a horrible way, um, in such an uncivilized, unjust way. We waged war and, and horribly lost the war, then just kind of gave up. And here we are kind of trying to conclude the Crusades. And if you're kind of depressed like I am, thinking about like what we did as Christians, um, thinking back to the story of you know the tetanus arm little boy and the, the original story, just feeling bad about, yeah, at the moment it, it seemed right because he was making fun of my religion to hurt him in the name of Jesus. But then obviously looking back, it's like, wait, didn't Jesus teach to turn the other cheek? Didn't Jesus teach to, you know, don't take the sword or by the sword you will die? And these tendencies that we have to act not like Christians in the time that maybe we should have. Maybe it was so important for us to act like Christians and instead we acted not like Christ. This idea that Christianity is a religion for the weak, not for the strong. And how great of a message that is because the, we are all weak and we are all powerless before God. And maybe just one more thing about this is this idea of the church um, doing bad things. And maybe in some ways, I've been thinking about this all week and figuring out, like, how should I word this? This idea of, like, is it the church that did it? Or is it people within the church that did this wrong thing? Can you separate the two? Can you not? Um, I just think, like, comparing it to today, like, I just know a lot of people that have left the church. And they're just like, I'm sick of the church 
and you ask them what happened, and they have a story or two about how the church hurt them. And it's like, was, was that really the church that hurt you? Or was that, you know, just a situation that you got hurt in? Like, say you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and they broke up with you, and maybe they played the God card, like, oh, God's calling me to date this other guy or other girl, and, and they break up with you, and you're heartbroken. So instead of, you know, <clears throat> blaming who you should blame, you just blame, oh, the church. The church hurt you. You know, dating within the church. You have this overarching idea that the church somehow hurt you. It's like, well, no, it, it sounds like you just got really hurt by a girl that broke up with you because she wanted to, to date some other guy, and she used the God card, which she shouldn't have, but she did. And so now you're hurt, but you're saying the church hurt you. Well, it's, it's just that girl uh, that broke your heart. And maybe in the same way, you could say, well, maybe it wasn't the church. The church in the Crusades, the church wasn't acting like the church should have. There was a pope with maybe too much power that thought might is right, and maybe Pope Urban II, he made this horrible mistake of declaring war, and these crusades happened because this perfect storm of, of bad things happened. And, and so we think, well, was that the church? Or was that just people acting within the church in the name of Jesus? You know, when, how do we separate you know, the, the church and church leadership from what the church should be doing? And I, and I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking through this, as many of you are probably now thinking through the church. But I just know that there's, um, even this week I got an email from someone saying, you know, they're not going to church, they don't like the church anymore, and they listed several very hurtful, legitimately hurtful things that happened to them within the church. Like church leadership failed them, and, and, and they are hurt by this situation, and then this situation, and then that situation. And, and so now they're just against the church. But I, I wonder if it's, if it's when the church ceases to act like the church. I wonder if it's sinners, like we all are, inside of the church, not doing a good job of representing the church. Um, here's a painting. I'll give you a chance to, to look at it and kind of take it in. It's a painting in the 1500s of, by Peter Paul Rubens. It's called The Triumph of the Church. And if you look at it, there's horses. There's four white horses carrying uh, a chariot. And in the chariot is this woman who represents the church, like a personification of the church. She's being crowned by an angel. She's holding um, something in her left hand ca- called an ostensory, ostensory, which is this golden like uh, container for the Eucharist, the holy bread of the body of Christ. And she's triumphing. And all these people, these angels are marching with her. And it's, the painting is called The Triumph of the Church Over Fury, Discord, and Hate. So I don't know if you could see this from where you are, but underneath the chariot are three guys getting ran over. It's kind of brutal. But the three guys are fury, discord, and hate. And so the church is triumphing over fury and discord and hate. And being pushed to the side, on the right-hand side, are two guys. Uh, one is blindfolded. The other one has weird-looking ears. They're, they're donkey ears. And these two guys represent blindness and ignorance. And so the church is triumphing over hate and discord and fury and pushing aside blindness and ignorance. And I think maybe that's, that's this image of the church that, that it's just this bigger idea of the church that, that we can triumph over our mistakes. We can triumph over sin. That, that we as the church 
maybe looking back, didn't act like the church in the Crusades. Or we as the church are not acting like the church when we make these horrible mistakes. And I know I am guilty of making mistakes, saying things that I've hurt people. As a church leader, I've gone on, uh, I could think back to like a mission trip I went on and I was hungry and tired and uh, mad at this guy who was on the mission trip with us. And I remember just like yelling at him and like, and, and then he ended up leaving the church. It's like, well, gosh, it was my fault. It wasn't the church's fault. It was me being an idiot and losing my temper and, and, and needing to apologize. And I didn't. And it's just, gosh, that wasn't the church. That was me. Uh, t- and I should have taken responsibility. And yet he, I don't know, it's just this bad situation that, that we as sinners get ourselves into. And then it's, it's by and large talked about as, oh, the, the church failed. Well, I don't know. Can we separate the sin of the church from the church? Is the church not acting like the church? I don't know. That's, that's a bigger discussion. So um, I'll kind of end it with that today. We'll pray. I have a discussion question. We're ending just a tad early. So I have another discussion question for you, kind of an extra credit discussion question if you want. But let's pray. Let's consider um, if you're anything like me, you're thinking about the mistakes you've made, the mistakes of the church and so, Father, we come to you, and, and, and God, we, um, we maybe want to point our finger at other people or other times in history where they failed worse than we do. But, Lord, we, we think about our own sin. And, God, we come to you as, as sinners in need of um, forgiveness, sinners in need of repentance. And, God, we've made our own mistakes in our lives. And, God, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that... God, maybe we might even learn from our mistakes and learn from the mistakes of people that have gone before us and come to you and repent and say we're sorry. Would you forgive us as, as the church? Would you forgive us as sinners within the church? And so, Lord, we, we do praise you that you are a God who forgives and covers us with sin. You cover us with righteousness. You cover our sin with who you are, your goodness, your mercy. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. And everybody said... Amen. Well, you're officially dismissed. If you want a discussion question, here's one that will open a can of worms. Uh, When can violence be good? Not just justifiable, not just okay, but is there situations in Christianity where violence can be good? That's your question. Peace out. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.